Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I slept on the couch the other night. Stop for a second. Tell me what you thought. What did you immediately assume when I said I slept on the couch the other night. The overwhelming majority of the time when you hear the phrase slept on the couch, specifically as it relates to the husband, the assumption is that the wife made him sleep on the couch because he made her mad. There was a fight. There was some sort of argument. I say this with all honesty. I cannot remember the last time my wife and I got in a fight. And the fact that I slept on the couch the other night was not related to that. What if I told you that one of us sleeping on the couch is actually a fairly common occurrence, all things considered, because one of us might be sick and coughing and wheezing. And the person who is sick does not want to keep up or to wake up the person who is not sick and coughing. So the sick person will go out and sleep on the couch so that they won't wake up the other person because if the other person were to not get their rest, they might become immunocompromised and they might get sick. It would be a contributing factor. The healthy person needs the rest. This time it was me. I was the one who didn't feel well. I've been fighting some sort of upper respiratory illness recently. And because of it, the other night I came out and slept on the couch. But now you feel a little different about the statement. I slept on the couch because you have the context behind it. If I just would have said I slept on the couch, it would be natural for you to assume that it was because we got in a fight because colloquially that's the way the phrase is used. In popular culture, it's the way we see the phrase used. When I say the phrase, I slept on the couch the other night, I know full well what you will assume that I'm meaning if I do not provide 
context. I can't say I slept on the couch the other night. Leave it at that. And then when the conversation circles back around to it later and you go, so what were your wife and you arguing about? And I say, how dare you? How dare you assume this? How dare you blow this way out of proportion? I'm the one who said I slept on the couch. We all know what that means. Unless I say something different, unless I provide information, the vacuum that I have created will be filled by the common and most logical thing to fill it with. And that would be on me. But the phrase is now given context. Now that I tell you that the reason why I was on the couch was because I was sick and I didn't want to keep my wife up. Now, all of a sudden, it makes a lot more sense. There are two things that that applies to. Ironically enough, I wrote out that intro, that metaphor, the context, the object lesson, whatever it is you want to call it. I wrote that out before Stefan Diggs missed the first day of what ended up being two days of mandatory minicamp for the Buffalo Bills. I wrote it in regards to the Ed Oliver ankle injury that we will discuss later on. And then it just happened to nicely fit with the biggest story of the week for the Buffalo Bills. And I got to be honest with you right up front. If I sound a little bit irritated, it's because I am. I am Bob Parr's insurance boss. I'm not happy, Bob. Not happy. That guy. I'm that guy right now. And I'm a little irritated because I don't want to talk about this. I need to because it's the biggest story of the week. But I don't want to. I don't want to talk about drama. I know it generates a ton of traffic. But if my main concern was generating traffic, I'd probably do a different podcast, call it something different, and title them in a way that search engines could help find them. I need to comment on it because it's the only show I do in a week. And next week, we probably won't talk about anything about it at all. But I don't want to. I don't want to do this. And because of Sean McDermott, And because of Stefan Diggs, I need to now. And they both share blame for this. I don't want this drama. I'm irritated that I need to devote a segment of this podcast to it. I'm irritated that either Sean McDermott or Stefan Diggs could have taken actions that would have lessened my need to have this discussion. Sean McDermott said, Steph's not here. He was asked, Are you concerned? He said, very concerned, very concerned. And then he refused to elaborate on it. He didn't say Stefan was here this morning. That was released later on. He didn't say all of the things he said the following day on the second day of minicamp was, hey, you know, I just want to clarify, you know, some of stuff that's been out there. Do you know why you needed to clarify it? You need to clarify it because you didn't communicate it well the first day. Well, there's a lot of things out there that aren't accurate. That's in part because you didn't tell people yesterday what you told them today, Coach McDermott. Stefan Diggs being excused by McDermott during the first day explains 100% 
why Diggs's agent would have been confused by the very concerned terminology. He's like, well, hold on now. This was excused. You had you came there. You had, you had a discussion. There was some some dialogue there. You felt like y'all needed a break, which is everything that Sean McDermott said the second day. But here's what I believe actually happened. I think McDermott was a little frustrated and he let it slip day one and didn't provide the elaboration that he did day two because he was frustrated. And then when it becomes a big story, he tries to point the finger at somebody else and go, look what you guys did. Look at you. There's a lot of things out there that aren't accurate. It's because you did it. You gave the least possible amount of context. You just said, slept on the couch. That's all you said. You didn't say why you slept on the couch. I'm not saying you have to give every single piece of information. You don't. But even if you would have said day one what you said day two, there still would have been a little bit of drama. Let's be real. There still would have been a little bit of drama. But it wouldn't have been as significant. And I probably wouldn't have needed to devote 10 or 12 minutes to it. And that's really what it boils down to why I'm irritated. Because <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. You and I, listener, haven't gotten an opportunity to have a lot of drama discussions because the Bills have been fairly drama-free since I've been doing the podcast. Now you know I don't like talking about this. I don't want to talk about this. I want to interpret Greek, and I want to do food metaphors, and I want to do funny musical parodies. That's what I want to do. You know, normal Bruce stuff. But instead, I got to talk about this. Now, Stephon Diggs didn't help himself. Well, he was just quoting somebody else with the Instagram post. Come on. Diggs doesn't know that all eyes are on him at that point. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what effect it's going to have. I quote tweeted the tweet that pasted Stefan Diggs' Instagram post from the night of the first day. And I said, this is the bad place because I'm so annoyed that I have to deal with this. I'm annoyed we have to talk about it. But here we are. I think Josh Allen summed it up okay. We could communicate better. It probably includes Allen. I know it includes McDermott. I know it includes Stephon Diggs. Both of them just could have handled this better. And if they would have, we could have saved ourselves 24 hours of nonsensical drama that I don't want to be a part of. So that's my take. I don't think there's any reason to be concerned moving forward. I really don't. I think if something happens, it was going to happen. Let's say, oh, well, Stefan Diggs might blow up later. Yes, he might. But I don't think the probability of him blowing up later is any different now than it was a week ago. It's probably the same probability. We all know what Stefan Diggs wants to do. He wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to win big. That's what Sean McDermott said. We're all on the same page. We want to win a Super Bowl. Good. Let's start with communicating well. I'm not mad at Stefan Diggs for having the conversations that he had because I don't know what was in the conversations. I have no idea if Stefan Diggs is justified in what he was having a dialogue with, with the coaches and GMs the day when he left before practice. I don't know what those conversations entailed. I can't tell you whether or not he was right. Maybe he had an amazing point. I have no idea. 
I also can't tell you if the coaches are right because I don't see their side of that story either. I don't see that side of the conversation. I just know that neither one of them handled it publicly the way that they probably should have. I have irritation towards Sean McDermott's method of handling it day one. And I have irritation about Stefan Diggs's way of handling it publicly the night of day one. Because he knew. He knew it was going to be a story. Oh, well, he's just trolling. Okay, well, that was stupid. Don't do that. Just stay quiet with your cryptic nonsense for an extra day until this is all over. If you do that exact same thing three months ago, nobody cares. But you did it the night of it being a story. And Sean McDermott, I understand that you're probably a little irritated, still left over from the conversation with Diggs. But just tell us day one what you told us day two, and there'd be less drama. Let's be honest, there'd still be drama. We all know. I'm not saying there wouldn't be. I'm not naive. There would just be less. And that's really what I want. I want less drama. I'm like Mary J. Blige. No more drama. And thus, my irritation comes from the things that I believe could have been done that didn't get done or the things that were done that shouldn't have been done, both of which led to more drama than otherwise would have been necessary. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I did my irritation thing with Stefan Diggs and Sean McDermott and the method of handling it publicly, and now I'm moving forward. And I want to talk a little bit about something else that is contextual, something else that has provided value through context. And that is Ed Oliver's 2022 season. I think it's really important that we make sure we have context. I mentioned last week that I had some concerns about Ed Oliver because at no point have you seen an entire year of high-level play from Ed Oliver. And I stand by that statement. You are extrapolating. You hope he can have what impact that he's had in smaller sample sizes when extrapolated to larger sample sizes. But you really haven't seen it. Most of the time when someone gets extended, you've either seen one year of elite play or you've seen multiple years of really good play. And we haven't seen it consistently from Ed Oliver. But I also said I wasn't angry about it. I was somewhere in the middle. I have some concerns. I wrote an article for Buffalo Rumblings about Ed Oliver's injury and I started it by saying ankle sprain. It just doesn't sound that bad, right? We have a tendency to relate athlete injuries to things that we've suffered ourselves. And in the absence of a personal medical diagnosis of an ankle sprain, we might bring to mind that time where we turned our ankle 
because we were playing pickup basketball at the rec center and we were sore for a few days. But that's kind of like the term turf toe, which I absolutely hate. Turf toe makes it sound so minor and it's totally not. Kind of like ankle sprain. So here's the scenario with Ed Oliver last year. Week one of the 2022 NFL season against the Los Angeles Rams. He suffered an ankle injury. That's all it was called. Banged up Bills initially had it listed as a medial ankle sprain. And then Oliver himself later confirmed it was a high ankle sprain. He missed three games. But how many games you miss with an injury is not the same as how many games you are impacted by the injury. Those are not the same statements. He was seen at practice and he wasn't wearing a walking boot the week after, but was, quote, a bit ginger per Thad Brown of WROC-TV. Now, after you determine, okay, this guy's got an ankle sprain, the next step in determining expectations for recovery is what grade is the sprain. So Cleveland Clinic notes that there are three different grades of ankle sprains. The third grade is noted by a difficulty in walking. Given the fact that we saw Oliver walking, albeit gingerly, at practice the next week after the injury, it appears likely he was a grade one or a grade two ankle sprain. So now we have confirmation it was a high ankle sprain from Ed Oliver, and we have a grade one or a grade two. So now we can isolate, based on that, what kind of recovery time we should expect. Both grade one and grade two ankle sprains are listed by sportsmd.com as somewhere between three and six weeks of recovery time. As mentioned, Oliver missed three games. Upon his return to the lineup in week five against the Steelers, Oliver recorded zero pressures on 20 pass rush snaps and then four pressures on 32 pass rush snaps against the Kansas City Chiefs, two on 13 pass rush snaps against the Green Bay Packers, and then zero on 15 pass rush snaps against the New York Jets. Week 10 is where the change began. After averaging only 31.5 total snaps per game in the four games after he returned, Oliver then averaged 48.8 snaps a game in the 10 games the Bills played for the rest of the regular season in the postseason. In his first four games back, he averaged 1.5 pressures per game and achieved a pressure on 7.5% of his pass rush snaps. For the rest of the season... After the Minnesota Vikings game, he averaged 2.9 pressures per game, almost double, and achieved a pressure on 8.7% of his pass rush snaps. Now, the next question is, Bruce, I don't know what any of this stuff means. What's good? For perspective, if you generate a pressure on 10% of your pass rush snaps as a defensive tackle, that is considered to be extremely productive. Fletcher Cox, Philadelphia Eagles, 45 pressures on 507 pass rush snaps. That's 8.9%. Jeffrey Simmons, 9%. Cameron Hayward, 11.6%. Dexter Lawrence, 12.1%. Chris Jones, the best interior defensive tackle in football, 13%. If Oliver would have produced the 2.9 pressures per game For the entire season, the way that he produced them in the 10 games after his snaps got ramped up by the Bills, 
he would have generated 49 pressures in 17 games, which would have tied him with Washington commander Deron Payne for ninth in the NFL in total pressures from an interior defensive lineman. All of a sudden, that sounds pretty good. The data seems to indicate that it may have taken Oliver longer to get back from the ankle injury than simply the three games that he missed. The Bills seem to be purposefully limiting his snaps all the way up until the game against the Minnesota Vikings. And then from then on, when they gave him bigger snaps, he didn't produce at an elite level, but solid and reasonable pressure up the middle. Now, the lack of an entire season of pass rushing productivity at an elite level makes the contract a divisive topic. This data does not excuse away anything in regards to his total productivity. I said last week I had concerns. But what does it do? It provides context. It provides context to the Ed Oliver slept on the couch. Well, yeah, but why did Ed Oliver sleep on the couch? Injuries have been part of the equation for Ed Oliver. That doesn't mean you didn't end up sleeping on the couch. All of the consequences that you have from sleeping on the couch like your neck's a little bit stiff and you didn't quite sleep as well as you otherwise would have, all those consequences are still there regardless of why you were on the couch. This is important. Context to why you were on the couch matters, but it doesn't change the consequences of being on the couch. I still woke up a little bit stiff because I'm old. And you remember when you were really young and you could sleep on your buddy's futon and wake up and be fine the next day? When you're old, you can't do that anymore. No more futon sleeping for old people. Got to make sure you get your right pillows, your right bed. Got to be the right angle. The dog can't be on your legs the wrong way or you'll wake up and your whole day is ruined. I slept on the couch. I did it because I was sick. And that's important for me to tell you, otherwise you'll assume something. But the fact of the matter is, I still woke up with a stiff neck. This stuff doesn't excuse away everything with Ed Oliver. I still have concerns because we haven't seen an entire year of really good production from Ed Oliver. Now, there's a reason we haven't, but the truth is that we still haven't. It's still an extrapolation. Now, we know why it's an extrapolation, but both of these things have to be comfortable coexisting in your mind. Context and excuses are different things. Just because someone provides context doesn't mean it's an excuse. It's just a data point that makes the what mean a little bit more because now you have the why or the how. It's important to step away from total raw statistical production at times to make sure context can be added. It's important. We should do it. As much as we can. We're going to move on. We're going to hit some emails. Because it's been a minute since I've hit some emails. Evan says, what's up, Bruce? I back. Trust me. I back. So, Big Baller Bean signs Leonard Floyd. And I think I'm ready to illustrate the picture of what the Bills 2023 season will look like. This outlook may change slightly if he signs a certain dreadhead player who has referred to himself as a Buffalo soldier, but here we go. You know how McDermott loves being an underdog? Well, a QB who plays in New Jersey has taken the spotlight off of Buffalo. In fact, 
Everyone is counting the Bills out, it seems. ESPN, FS1, Bills fans on Twitter, Gary from Cheek to Wild, who calls WGR saying we need to stop passing and pound the rock like the old school teams. You get the picture. Well, with this team being counted out, an aggressive D.C. McDermott back in action, get ready for the underdog Bills of 2017, 18, and 19, combined with what might be the best collection of offensive talent yet to match 2021, 2020, and 2022. Much like Robbie Lawler, the Bills won't take your neck, they'll take your soul. I appreciate the Robbie Lawler reference, by the way, because I understood that reference. 15-2 and two regular season, number one offense, number one defense, number one in turnovers, and number one special teams by DVOA. The Bills head into the playoffs ready to rip out throats. They win by an average point differential of 21 on their way to winning six Super Bowls in eight years, cementing Josh Allen as the Michael Jordan of football. I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant, which is a Pearl Harbor reference from Evan Baxter. Robert sent me an email and said, Hey, Bruce, I hope this email finds you well. I hear GM and content creators as well talking heads about building through the draft. I wonder if I take the term too literally. A 53-man roster, seven-round draft, that means it would take eight years to draft a team. If you didn't sign 21 players you drafted in the first three years to a second contract, you'd be fighting an uphill battle. Can you provide some context to what it truly means when the use the term building through the draft? So I will tell you how I interpret building through the draft. The way I interpret the phrase building through the draft is as follows. You want to make sure that at all times, as many of your meaningful pieces are players you drafted as humanly possible. Because we talk a lot about surplus value on this podcast and achieving value over top of what is expected. And one of the best ways you can possibly do that is by hitting on a draft pick, specifically a quarterback. But if you hit on a draft pick, a wide receiver, quarterback, offensive tackle, they immediately become an extremely good financial value because it's all based around the idea that we live in a limited resource environment with a salary cap. It's very flexible, but it's not infinitely flexible. So because of that, whenever you live in a meaningful environment that has limited resources, getting excess value is important. So if the overwhelming majority of the players on your team are not giving you excess value, that makes everything really tight. Now, if you drafted that player, that means you get excess value while they're on the rookie deal and you probably get first crack at re-signing them. And if you get first crack at re-signing them rather than having to compete with a bunch of people on the free agent market, that also means you're going to get a better deal long-term. That also means that the players you're getting in free agency are usually getting there because a team let them go, which means you're probably dealing with lesser caliber of players. That's the reason why building a team through free agency is going to be less efficient. You're competing for the contract, which means you're not likely to get a lot of steals. It's harder to find steals in free agency than it is steals in the draft. So you're competing for that. And number two, you're probably getting lesser quality of players because a team let them go when they had the ability to tag them and keep them. So building through the draft, in my opinion, when I hear that phrase, I mean the meaningful parts of your team and as much of them as humanly possible should be players who are on rookie contracts or players you at least drafted. Because they provide you excess value when they're on the rookie contracts and they are more likely 
to provide you better value even after you resign them. In addition, your resigning carries with it less risk because you know the player. You know how they fit in your scheme. You know how they fit in your culture. You don't have to inject a bunch of variables when you sign a big player in a free agent contract. Free agent busts can cost you a ton of money. Draft pick busts don't cost you nearly as much. Higher risk at trying to build through free agency, lower average quality of player, and lower chance of you getting positive value. That's what we mean. You want the foundational pinnacle of your team as often as humanly possible to be players that you drafted. That doesn't mean acquiring players a different way is bad. I'm pretty sure we we're all really happy with Stefan Diggs and what he's contributed during his time here. I am. That was a win for the Buffalo Bills. Well, they could have drafted Jefferson. You don't know that they were going to draft Jefferson. You don't know that Jefferson would have jived with Josh Allen. Now, in a, in a perfect world, yeah, sure. Would I prefer a really good receiver who's infinitely younger? Sure, yeah, absolutely. But we don't know that was going to happen. They could have drafted somebody else. So for me, that's what I mean when I say building through the draft. And when I hear building through the draft, that's where my brain goes. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. I am glad that it's done. I am glad that I can talk to you next week about something else. And maybe you didn't like my irritation at Sean McDermott and Stefan Diggs. And maybe you think I should enjoy and I should love the drama to talk about it. But you know what? That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.